changes in the air. Um, I, I notice that when I look out my window and all of a sudden, literally, these dead sticks behind our house have exploded with green leaves. It's amazing. I, I got up one day and it was like, whoa, am I in the right place here? This is, everything's changed. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? It's neat. To, and, and today it's going to be like 30 degrees. Of course, tomorrow. Sometimes change is like that, right? Sometimes change is like, this is really good. And other times, ooh, this isn't so great. Um, it's, it's like that in my life. Um, where that shows up most, let's be honest, it's in the mirror. How many looked in the mirror before they came here today? I mean, really looked in the mirror. Okay, all of you who didn't kind of raise your hand are kind of like, um, whoa, is something wrong with me? Do I got like stuff on me or something? As, because, hey, if you didn't look in the mirror, how do you know? And so uh, change is really important. And in scripture, uh, so often the Christian life is seen as one of change, growth and progression and, and uh, growing and changing and uh, maturing. And so uh, we all like that. Um, but sometimes we feel stuck. Change seems to elude us. Uh, sometimes we come to regular things uh, in, in our church uh, life, you know, Easter comes around again, or Christmas comes around again, or we're starting a new message series like um, we were just told about, and, and it's an opportunity for us to stop and just kind of evaluate a little bit, and, and I don't know about you, but uh, do you ever sometimes feel like, man, I'm a worse Christian than I was before. Like, I'm, I'm worse. I'm, I, I'm more filled with pride and more angry than I've ever been. And like, how did this change, this bad change happen? I don't know. That, sometimes that's how I feel. So, so how do we change? The author of James is a man of action and he insists that real faith brings real change. I can change. We can change. And it's going to show. It's going to be real. And it, it's going to be at the deepest levels of who I am. God's word gives us hope and help. In a, chapter 1 of James, he begins by uh, showing us that faith responds to God. Faith uh, sees the purposes and character of God, especially in trials. And that's where James starts. He starts with people that are uh, suffering and going through hard times. And uh, he says, that should be great. And when I preached that section of uh, James chapter 1, I said, I, 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 can't, I can't say that. I can't say, hey, count it all joy when you fall into trials of all different kinds. I said, because I, I know, I know some of the trials that you're going through. And, and I, I just can't say, hey, it's, think of this as a great thing. But as we worked through that session, we recognized that when faith responds to God, especially in the hard times, it makes a difference. Uh, James says we should call our worst moments joyful things because trials help us trust God more. And people who trust God ask him for wisdom and then take what he gives. People who trust God make a bigger deal about uh, their rewards in the next life than their wealth in this life. People who trust God don't blame him for their desire to sin. They give him credit for all that's good in their lives. So faith recognizes James ends that section by saying, faith recognizes, hey, God is doing something. And we're a part of it. And that's exciting. So then we come to this part, uh, James 1, 19 to 27. And here James answers the question, well, what's my part? What's my part? And uh, God wants to bring change into my life. Um, 
I'll probably say this again, but I can't do that without God. And God won't do it without me. He's not just going to zap me and, whoa, wow, look at that. Uh, I have to be engaged in the process. So what's my part? And James is going to answer that as we look into this passage. Let me read James chapter 1, 19 to 21, or sorry, 19 to 27, and then uh, we'll uh, pray and ask God to really bring this front and center to our hearts. Know this. That means, hey, listen up. Listen up. Hey, get this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that today you would grip us with it. Father, we pray that you will help us uh, to actually put it into action. Uh, Father, we're in danger here of just listening and hearing and then leaving this place and not actually acting on your word. And so I pray up front, Lord, as we talk about these things, uh, as we talk about the change that you want to bring into our lives, Father, uh, I ask that your spirit will not allow that to happen. I ask that you'll not allow us to just uh, slough off your word like we've done before. Oh, Father, I pray that you will uh, penetrate our minds and our hearts with this truth. Help us to see ourselves clearly and then uh, leave, Father, committed to making a change because of all that you have done for us. And so, Father, as we uh, speak of these things, we pray that your spirit will bring them to our hearts in a fresh and vibrant way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we change? Well, um, First of all, we, uh, we want change uh, that is practical. When I respond to God in faith, I experience change that is uh, practical. One of the things that we do around here really hard is to actually apply God's word to our lives. And so we, we try and um, live it out. We, we, so if you're in a small group, you go to small group, and we have these questions that are based on the message. And um, sometimes, I don't know if it has ever happened to you, maybe your uh, small group leader showed up and, or didn't show up and, you don't have the questions. Or maybe you tried to print them off and your printer's out of ink and you, and you don't have the questions. Well, I got an easy solution for you. The question behind the questions is always this. Um, what difference is this going to make in my life? That's the question we're always trying to answer. So whenever you get together with small group or whenever you go home and think about the message, uh, that's the question we're trying to answer is what difference does the truth of God's word make in my life? 
And, and then we talk about that. And, and then uh, we have breakout. And then the men go to, with the men and the woman with the woman. And the question we're trying to answer there is, um, after we get through all the small talk and the guys talk about sports and the girls talk about decorating or whatever you talk about and we get the atmosphere warm so that we can actually just share with each other what's going on. The question that we're trying to answer there is what am I going to do with this this week? And so we're trying to make God's word very practical because if your faith doesn't make a difference in how you live and as we're going to see how you talk and we really wonder, uh, is your faith real. Because real faith makes a real difference in how I actually live. And so that's what we want. And so uh, that's what we're going for uh, every week. Samuel Perry, in a, a book he wrote about addicted to lust, uh, notes this, honestly, from the people I talk to, the most helpful thing that people can do is develop better life patterns. He said, but I feel like there's an obsession with the thought that my, my heart needs to be right and I need to pray about this and think about this and remember the gospel. And, and yet I feel like the most helpful thing churches could do to, is get real practical real quick. Well, actually, we're about that. And so when we come and somebody has an addiction, whether it says he's writing about to pornography or to some other thing, uh, uh, we say, hey, uh, we got we to gotta make a practical difference. And so we talk about radical amputation. You've got to cut every avenue uh, off from your flesh feeding on that thing, whether it's alcohol or pornography or lying or whatever it is in your heart. We've got to take radical amputation. We've got to be practical real quick here. And so whatever you have to do, put covenant eyes on your computer or uh, um, not go there anymore or change something in your life, just practical life changes, honestly. B develop a better life pattern. And so we radical amputation. But that's not all. We talk about radical accountability. We got to let somebody else know what I'm struggling with because I can't do this alone. And accountability is often looked at. Hey, you better not step out of line. If I catch you stepping out of line, you're going to be in trouble here. What? What trouble? Right? Uh, that's not how we see accountability. Accountability for us is, hey, we can do better together. I need you to encourage me to do the right thing. And, and I want to encourage you to do the right thing. And we together can do better together. And so we need to help each other. And so radical uh, accountability. But you know, that's still not enough. The core of all of this is radical adoration. Until I love Jesus Christ more than I love me, until I uh, love Jesus Christ more than I love this thing, I'm never going to be free of it. And so the answer is radical adoration. And so we believe here in this church in uh, taking practical steps and uh, making some practical changes. And that's what James is talking about. And so he starts right off right there. He says, hey, listen up. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So let's get practical. How do we do that? Well, first off, Let's slow the conversation down. Because what we're talking about most of the time is relationships, right? Whether it's your marriage relationship or just your relationship with your family, your dad, your mom, your, your neighbor, the, your workmates. We're usually talking about relationships. That's where, that's where I have uh, pressure and stress in my life. When I'm by myself, everything's wonderful, right? Like I get along with myself just fine. I, almost everything I do, I like that. That was great. Every, almost everything I say, hey, right on. I agree with you. I'm reading a book right now. I think the guy's the smartest guy in the world because he's 
believes what I believe. He's saying what I would say. I, I like that guy. He's a smart guy. I must be a smart guy. I, I get along with myself just fine. But as soon as somebody else comes into the mix, they, they think something different than I do. And I go, mm, uh, I got to adjust here a little bit. I don't like that. I said, they don't agree with me about things. They see things differently. How can they be so wrong all the time? I don't know. So as soon as I start talking to other people, then it's very apparent they have a problem. Because I don't. And see, this is where it shows up in relationships. All of a sudden, we have a problem and, and relationships involve conversation. And, and so when, when tension is there, I need to slow the conversation down. So how am I going to do that? Well, first of all, I listen. Be quick to hear. Hey, why am I not quick to hear? I'm, I'm Pastor Roger. I'm the soul gear guy. I, I should be really good at listening, right? Now somebody said that's why God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you listen twice as much as you talk, right? Um, so why aren't we good at listening? Well, here's a couple of reasons that I, I thought of. Um, I feel threatened or accused. That shuts me down right away. <laughs> I'm not listening to you anymore. Uh, interesting fact that I just found out. Uh, men hear evaluation as criticism. Who knew? <laughs> I can only speak from my half of the gender divide. But um, actually, that really resonates with me. When somebody is just evaluating something, I come up with this great idea. And they evaluate it. And I take it personally. Why is that? I don't know, but it sure shuts my listening down. And so maybe that's you. I feel threatened or accused. Take it as personally. Um, here's another re I get defensive. Now here's how it works in my little scenario. This is my game plan. Uh, somebody says something and I get defensive. Like, well, I, like I didn't have a choice. And then I make excuses. Well, there's a really good reason why I did that. And then I begin to attack. Well, if you hadn't done this in the first place, how quickly I can go boom, boom, boom. And what's happening? I'm not listening. I'm not swift to hear. I'm pretty swift to talk. And so let's slow the conversation. Here's another reason. I'm just unwilling to entertain any idea that is not mine. Uh, that's pride. I've been reading the Bible lately. I haven't found one place where pride was a good thing. Not, not one. And so why is that? Well, I'm actually really self-centered. One of the hard things that I'm seeing about myself, one of those changes that I don't really like, what I'm actually afraid of is it's not a change. I'm realizing I'm more self-centered than I ever, ever realized. And what, what I'm afraid of is that I'm not becoming more self-centered. I've always been that way. It's just showing more. God puts pressure on us. Somebody says that God's revealing, God's, God's, God's refining your character. I, I usually say, no, he's not. He's just revealing it and it's not pretty. Right? So uh, this is why I am not quick to hear. The Bible says, uh, be quick to hear. So how do I actually do that? Well, uh, I have a tool for you. Uh, we're going to slow the conversation down. And here's a tool we can all use. Tango for communication. This is from hopecouples.com. You can go to that website and find a bunch of other uh, tools for couples particularly. But uh, you can use this uh, in, uh, in other places. And so tango, uh, when we have a conversation, it's kind of like a dance, right? 
And so we're going to dance together. And so uh, here's a way to dance in your conversation together. And some of you may recognize this if you've come to talk to me about how to get along better. I, I usually go here. Let's slow the conversation down because when we talk to each other, what happens? The conversation tends to speed up because I listen to answer, not to understand. And so then we begin talking past each other and then the emotions escalate and pretty soon we're yelling at each other. And I like the lady that just cut right into that and said, honey, I love you. Why are you yelling at me? How do we get there so quickly? And we, we treat each other that way. We say things that are so mean and cutting. How did we get there? And so uh, we want to slow the conversation down. So when you tango, uh, first one person tangos. That does not mean the other person's not involved. But first one person tangos and then it switches and the next other person tangos. And so what does that mean? Well, a T is for tell what happened directly and briefly. This is the time to tell your partner about your perspective. Be brief and to the point like a news reporter. Hey, we're trying to get to, hey, this is how I see things. This is what I think the issue is. All right? So we just got to be honest with each other. A is how it affected me. At this point, share how what happened affected you. Try to use a feeling word. I was hurt. I was mad. I was encouraged. I was happy. I was something. Why do we do that? Why? Because how it affected you is actually probably more important than what happened. Because... What happened might not affect another person the way it affected you. And that's the important part. That's where we're actually getting to know each other. Why and how did it affect you? And if we care about each other, I want to hear that. And so you tell what happened in your perspective and tell how it affected you. And then N is make a nurturing statement. Why do I do that? That sounds like I'm actually interrupting things. Let's stick to the topic. Um, we make a nurturing statement for two reasons. One, we need a lot of encouragement. We just need a lot of encouragement. And so in the middle of this, say, hey, this is how I see it. And this is how it affected me. It really uh, bothered me. It actually hurt me quite a bit. Uh, but listen, I so appreciate the fact that you get up and go to work so faithfully. Thank you. Or, hey, I so appreciate how you respond to our children. You get right down and look in their face and talk to them. Thank you. And we share a nurturing statement. And that's to remind us that what we're talking about isn't all about us. There's other things about us that are important. And, and, and I'm not just upset about something. I do care about you and appreciate you. And we need to hear that. And so right in the middle of these slowed down conversations, we tell each other that because it's important. And now um, the, the first person has told their perspective, how it's affected them. They've made a nurturing statement. And now uh, the G is forgot it. And that's where the other person now uh, gets involved. It's still the first person's tango. But now the other person reflects back what they were hearing. So what you're saying is, what I hear is that uh, this is your perspective. This is how it affected you. Oh, and by the way, you, you really like, um, like it when I say I love you. Great. Did I get it? And the first person says, yeah, you got it. Now, if this person uh, says something and, and no, they didn't get it, now you have a chance to clarify. You say, well, actually, what I'm trying to say is, and this is how it affects me. This is what I, uh, something I love about you. So, oh, okay, let me try again. Do I got it? 
And so you repeat. Now when you repeat that, you don't add motives. You don't add things they didn't say. So you're just saying, you, you just think I'm a loser. Um, nope, never said that. Never used those words. Nope, didn't say that. Okay, let's stick to the facts here. This is what you, your perspective is. This is how it affected you. This is your nursing center. Got it? I got it. Okay. Now the O is, are we okay? Can we keep talking here? Because maybe, maybe you just heard something and you go, oh, oh, oh emotions are escalating. Uh, let's slow the conversation down by taking a break. Take a deep breath. Do you need some time to process that? Because maybe you say, I, I ain't never heard this before, baby. That's a new thing to me. I need some time to think about that. Okay, how much time do you need? Half an hour? A day? Take the time. Don't allow the conversation to speed up and emotions to escalate and you start talking past each other. Don't do that. Slow the conversation down. Are we okay? If we're okay, then let's keep talking. If we're okay, uh, observe the effects. At this time, both of you should take a step back to see how the conversation is affecting you emotionally. If either of you feel you are becoming too emotional to talk right now, take a time up and time out and come back to the conversation at a later time. If both of you feel okay to keep talking, then keep tangoing. At this point, speaker and listener will switch so the other person can share their perspective. Keep taking turns being speaker and listener until you feel that you have talked through the issue and understand each other's perspectives. Why are we doing that? Because we want to slow the conversation down. I want to be, I want to obey scripture. I want to be quick to hear, slow to speak, now let's deal with this. Slow to anger because why? Anger does not produce the righteousness God requires. So uh, uh, we've slowed the conversation down. Now let's look beneath the surface. Verse 20. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. John Gottman is a noted relationships researcher and he notes that anger is often a secondary emotion or a masking emotion. And so I respond to things with irritation or frustration, ah, or anger, oh yeah. All three of those are actually just levels of anger, right? Some are more acceptable than others, but why? I respond to something with anger, and God wants me to look beneath the surface, because anger is often a response of something else, and so when I look beneath the surface, what do I see there? The emotion that's under the anger leads us to what we really value. Uh, perhaps it's fear or rejection or unfairness or longing for acceptance or security or significance. Now, we've all heard about these things. We've all heard men and women have these needs inside and we all have these needs for acceptance and, and, uh, and, and stuff. And, and it's true. We do have those needs. And they, they motivate so much of what we do. When I feel like I'm not being heard or when I feel like I'm, I'm not being uh, given respect or uh, when I feel like I'm not being cared for, often what, what shows is irritation or frustration or anger. But if I can go beneath the surface and look at what's really going on under there, then we can talk about what's really happening. And that's so much more important. We all have needs that are driving us underneath and we all hear that men need significance and women need security and I know men that need more uh, more security than some woman I know some women that need more significance than some men I don't care 
We're all on a spectrum somewhere. That doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that it's what's underneath that's important. What's driving my response of anger? And so slow the conversation down and then look underneath the surface. What's really going on in me? And we're, we're all concerned about conversations, about what the other person is saying and thinking. And what's often really important is what's happening inside me is what's really driving things. And so we're all driven by these things uh, to one degree or another. You know what one basic underlying drive is? I want it my way. How many times is the impasse simply because neither person is willing to do anything other than I want it my way? And so uh, James talks about that in a minute about humility. There's two problems with anger. Um, if we just settle for that, anger poisons the well of relationship. How many times are you going to get away with that? Um, we become unsafe people for those around us. Let's just admit, admit it right now. Sometimes or often I am unsafe for the people around me, closest to me, who want to talk to me uh, because of my expressed or my repressed anger. And they know, I might not be expressing it. I'm not angry. They know. They feel it. You're angry. You know, no, I'm not angry. <laughs> okay. Uh, they know. And they feel it. And it poisons the well of relationship. So what happens is like uh, the, the, the uh, other person senses your anger and begins to withdraw. And so the, per the angry person goes, what's the matter now? As if it's the other person's fault. So here's, here's what to do when they say that. What's the matter now? And you know they're angry. Just say, somebody poisoned the water hole. <laughs> you can just use that. Just I don't know what kind of response you're going to get to that. If somebody uses that on me, I'm not going to be happy. It's not like probably going to get better, but it, it, it makes it clear. Uh, that's what the problem is. Uh, anger poisons the well of relationship. Uh, that's also why it's important in this slowed down conversation to nurture each other, to make a nurturing statement. Uh, the second problem with anger is it never addresses the actual issue. Even if you apologize and take responsibility for mouthing off and being nasty, it doesn't address the actual desire that's under the anger. You're not really dealing with the thing that's under here. It's interesting that Jesus said that anger in the heart is akin to murder. And so a good question to ask yourself when you're angry is, what do I want so badly in this moment that I'm willing to kill for it? I'm going to actually do anything. But if I'm angry, anger in my heart, what do I want so badly in this moment I'm willing to kill for it? What is it? Respect. Connection. To be heard. To be valued. Isn't it so often that it comes down to that? I just want to be valued. And I feel devalued by the way you're talking to me, your perspective. And that's my issue, not their issue. So slow the conversation down, look beneath the surface, and then this, engage with the truth. Verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
Let's start with the filthiness and rampant wickedness thing. Filthiness is moral or ethical depravity. Uh, and I believe that James is still talking about so much about how we talk. And so put away uh, filthiness, dishonest, unclear, sometimes downright dirty talk. Nasty talk. And then this uh, rampant wickedness is literally wicked intent. And so what's happening here is the wicked selfishness in me comes out in how I use my words to get what I want. Do you talk to people that way? Do you sometimes underscore what you're trying to get by letting your language turn mean and vicious? Well, God has something to say about that. Consider this, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3, 8 to 10. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, that's a different expression of anger, malice, that's hatred, meanness, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Seriously, you eat with that thing? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How about this? 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. I'm not mad. I'm okay. Okay. Uh, envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Rather, let God's word direct your words and your motives. When you figure out what it is that you want, what it is that you are trying to get, what it is that you fear, or what it is you are evading, measure it then against God's truth. What does God think about what you want? What does God think about how you're trying to get it? Sometimes what I want, God's okay with what I want. He puts desires in my heart. He, he put a desire in my heart for connection and acceptance. I long for that. And that's a good thing. But how am I going about getting it? And am I finding it in Christ? Or am I demanding it from the people around me? And when I find out what's underneath my anger and what I'm longing for and driving my behavior, then I compare it to God's word and I receive with humility the engrafted word the implanted word, which is able to save my soul. That's what God wants us to do. We want to get practical. We want to slow the conversation down. We want to look underneath the surface and then we want to compare what we find there with God's word and receive with humility his word, what he says about it. And that's so often hard, isn't it? So often we, we hear God's word and we see what practically he wants us to do and, and then um, we're, we're, we really don't want to do that. It's difficult. Well, we want to take a, a little bit closer look at that, but before we do, I want you to notice this. Uh, James describes this word as the word that is able to save your soul. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 
So I just want to stop right here for a minute. We're talking about very practical changes. And I'm continually amazed at what people can do all on their own. But listen, uh, what we're talking about is the kind of change that comes from having a new life, from being born again. And so this word of God that's able to redirect your life and change you is first of all able to save you. And so I want to ask, uh, are you just trying to change on your own or are you actually trying to change to be conformed to what you are in Jesus Christ? Because the word brings us the gospel of Jesus Christ and that gospel is that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and he took your place on the cross and paid for the fact that you have sinned against God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're not like him. And Jesus reconciled us to God by taking our place. My question for you is, have you by faith responded to Jesus Christ and what he's done by receiving the forgiveness he offers you and the new life he offers you? And when you do that by faith, it's as if you're united with him on in his death and burial and resurrection. You're there with him and you're raised to walk in newness of life and he gives you eternal life. Not as something that you're going to get one day, but eternal life that you have right now. And so that when this fleshly life ends, you just keep on living into eternity because you have eternal life as a gift from God. You have eternal life, a kind of life from God, not just a length of life. It's the kind of life that God gives when we respond to him in faith. And all that we're talking about, all the change that we're talking about is actually predicated, founded on the fact that he's given you life and given you the opportunity to, to be actually different than you are in and of yourself. And so have you received Jesus Christ as your savior? Everything starts right there. Let his truth save you and then let that truth direct your life. Now, I don't want you to think that I've abandoned what we believe here in soul care. And uh, what we believe is that everything comes from the heart. So we're talking about um, practical change, slow the conversation down, uh, be careful what words you use, change the way that you do these things, take a look underneath. And that's really what we want to do. Uh, everything comes from the heart. And so we want to take a look at that. When I respond to God in faith, I experience not only change that is practical, but change that is pervasive. So first of all, recognize the challenge. Uh, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now who does that? Who does that? Nobody that I know of. You know, when you look intently into the mirror, it's because, hey, I want to check out what's going on in here. And you look in that mirror and, uh, and you pay attention to what you see. And if you see you got junk on your face, you, you wash your face. If your hair's all messed up, you comb your hair. If you got coffee stains in your shirt, you change your shirt. Now, we don't always look intently into a mirror. Sometimes we're just kind of going by and we go, oh, yeah, that looks pretty good. <laughs> I'm pretty impressed with that now. Um, but often we take a look in the mirror and, uh, you know, the problem is we look in the mirror and sometimes what we see there isn't great. Go, wow, you know, time is really working its way through on me, right? Just not like I used to be. I used to have brown hair. I don't have gray hair. I have white hair. 
And my daughter-in-law says, that's because I'm becoming more angelic. <laughs> I love that girl. Wow. You know, we see those changes and some of them we like and some we don't like. And, and honestly, when we look into God's word and we look intently at it, um, sometimes we don't like what we see there. And, and I, what I don't want to do is discourage you today. Because so often we come to church and we hear a message and I don't measure up and I walk out and I just don't measure up. I'm such a loser. I don't want you to do that. We're not a loser. In Christ, we're his, his child. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. And God has made us in him, accepted in his son. And his, uh, we're translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says this. This is a great, a great verse. It says, um, uh, in him the Father has, has uh, qualified us to partake in the, with the, the, the saints of light. He's qualified us. That means Jesus wrote the exam and gave us the A+. Plus. Hey, we have the A+. Plus. It's great. I don't know what I'm doing, but I got an A+. Plus because Jesus knows what he's doing. And so I don't want us to be discouraged when we look into God's word and see we don't measure up because in Christ we do. But, but now God wants us to bring our lives into line with what he's made us. We're not bringing our life into line to get what he's given to us. We're bringing our lives into line with what he's given to us. And so I don't want you to be discouraged by this, but often we look in there and, and truth and change are hard. But listen, um, we're in real danger of doing exactly what we said we never do. Nobody looks in the mirror and looks intently and sees something that's wrong and doesn't change it. Unless they just literally don't care. Or don't have the ability. But we are in real danger of coming and looking into God's word and just walking away and not doing anything about it. And the Bible says we are deceiving ourselves. That's the only choice you have is to deceive yourselves. Why is that? Well, it's because we can't live with dissonance. Here we are looking into the authoritative, perfect word of God. And what we see is, uh, is um, I don't always look that great. The truth that I see is sometimes hard to, to grab a hold of. And so I have two choices. I can confess and repent and seek his forgiveness and seek his strength to change or I can deceive myself into thinking I am okay just like I am. Obviously, James is recommending option number one, prove yourself doers of the word and not hearers only. This goes directly to identity, doesn't it? This goes to exactly who, who am I really? And we, we look into God's word and uh, we see things that we, we don't want to see. And so are we going to allow God to work in us? Are we going to respond to him in faith, believing that he brings real change? Or am I just going to ignore that and deceive myself that, hey, I'm okay. God's okay with this and I'm okay with this and I'm just going to keep living my life. And uh, God's not... Um, well, let's recognize the solution. There's, that's the problem. Let's recognize the solution. There is hope. Uh, verse 25 says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed 
in his doing. It's called the law of liberty, by the way, because it sets us free. How does it set us free? Christ fulfilled the law for us. And because we're in him, when I look into the law of liberty, it's liberating. It's satisfied. He is the satisfaction for our sins. Christ has done everything necessary to bring me to God. So it's the law of liberty. It's not a condemning law anymore. It's the law of liberty because Christ fulfilled it for me. So now I need to fix my eyes on him. It says the one who perseveres. And let's be honest. Um, man, change is slow sometimes. Change is hard sometimes. But if I hang in there and I keep doing God's word, I, I am going to be changed. Science and scripture both back this up. Science proves that you can literally rewire your brain by acting on things, by doing it, by following through. You literally can change the way that your mind works, that, that your physical brain works. Why would we expect anything less? Because God has said that's what's true. In Romans chapter 12, verses, verses 1 and 2, we see this all the time. It's talking about transformation. Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So most of us stop there. And he said, if I read, read the Bible and I memorize a few verses, I'm going to be transformed. But the verse doesn't stop there. The verse says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, another way that we read that is we say, oh, by renewing my mind, I'll find out what God's will is. That's not what that verse is saying. We already know what God's word is. It's in his word. That's his will. When I renew my mind by doing, by proving, by acting on the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that's when I'm transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says the same thing. It says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And we are being transformed. There's that word again. We're being transformed from, from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. It's progressive. It's gradual. It's something that God does. But what's it based on? It's based on me interacting, if you read that context, with God's Word by receiving it. By acting on it. And so transformation comes when I engage with God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit and act on it. And so that's the answer. That's, that's what I'm looking for. That's how real change happens. Real change is practical. I actually see changes. And it's pervasive. Because I look in the, as I look into this mirror of God's word, it's me that I see in the mirror. Too many of us are trying to look at you in the mirror. I have a lot to say about your faults. I can tell you when you got junk on your face and stains on your shirt. But when I'm looking into God's word, I'm supposed to be uh, looking into a mirror that tells me where I'm falling short. I'm supposed to see me in the mirror and because it's me looking into God's word, it's pervasive. God puts his finger on the things that I need to change. And isn't it good that he doesn't do it all at once? He says, like, okay, Roger, we're going to work on this. And I get that thing down and I'm, I think I've grown a little bit in Christ. Then God taps me on the shoulders. Oh, hey, by the way, <laughs> uh, there's more. Great. 
Okay, I'm working on that. But hey, what does it say? The one who perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a man of action who does, will be blessed. That word blessed means happy. God is not against happiness. The problem is most of us are looking for happiness in the wrong way. Happiness comes through doing God's will. That's where true happiness comes from. And so I'm changed. So when I respond to God in faith, I experience a change that's practical. I experience change that's pervasive. Uh, how about this? When I respond to God in faith, I experience change that is personal. In some ways, these last two verses are just a summary of all that James has told us here. When truth is tied to obedience, here are the differences that it makes in my life. This is the essence of real faith. And so uh, what differences should I expect to see? Well, first of all, I'm not self-focused. How does that show? Uh, if anyone thinks he's religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Um, I'm not self-focused. I can bridle my tongue. We get these people, I just say what I think. Whoa, that was empty. That's not a good thing, right? James says that, that a person is, who is not self-focused bridles their tongue. You know what a bridle is? You put that on a horse and the horse, it makes the horse do what you want it to. Well, you have to bridle your tongue. We call this leveling and editing. Um, when we're in a conversation, we level. We're on the level. We're honest. We speak the truth. We don't lie to one another. That's, again, obeying Scripture. So we speak the truth. But I also edit. I don't just say whatever is in my head. I have the ability to control that. And so I edit it. I make sure that what I say is true and then how I say it. How I say it is really important. And so I level and I edit. I bridle my tongue. That's obeying scripture. And, and if you bridle your tongue, you won't, have, uh, you won't be self-deceived and have a worthless religion, a worthless faith. And so I'm not uh, self-focused. I'm not self-deceived. I'm not thinking that I'm okay and I'm religious because I know God's word and I know all this junk, but I don't actually do it. You're self-deceived if that's true. And so I'm not self-deceived. I'm not self-serving. This verse says, uh, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. The word visit uh, doesn't just mean I go knock on their door and say hi. I actually bring them something. And so in James's day, orphans and widows were the most disadvantaged, most vulnerable people. Uh, we have all kinds of vulnerable people in our world today. Homeless, the addicted, um, all, all kinds, widows for sure, single moms for sure, orphans for sure. And, and what we do for them, uh, because we're not self-serving, we serve others. There are lots of scriptures commanding us to put others' interests before our own. So are we? How can I do that this week? Or is my religion just actually self-serving? And then finally, I'm not self-centered that's the loving others part. This is the loving God. Love God, love others. And so uh, that's the loving others part. This is the loving God part. We keep ourselves unstained from the world. So here we are. We want a faith that's real, that makes, brings real change into my life. But here's the problem. Samuel Perry says this. Again, 
uh, speaking from his book, Addicted to Lust. For committed Christians, willful, repeated disobedience to God is a big problem. Because even though God has forgiven us for our sins, theologically, we're not supposed to be, just be able to go back repeatedly time after time. Committing the same sin without repenting of it becomes a theological problem and one starts to wonder, what is my standing before God? If I just go back to this again and again, am I really repented? Am I really changed?